0: Good morning. It is Wednesday, the 15th of January, 2020. I'm Carmen LeBurge, your host for Mornings with Carmen. Um, thank you for including me in your day. I count it a privilege. Um, OK, so last night, a couple of options on uh, the television. Um, you, you might have watched the Democratic debate or you might have watched the final episode of Jeopardy's Greatest of All Time. And uh, let me just go ahead and confess, I didn't watch either one. Um, but maybe you did. And so for Jeopardy fans, Ken Jennings is now, I mean, I think without uh any other description necessary. The mega champion, um, Ken He's Jennings the goat. is he He's is the, the goat. goat. Yeah. He is the Jeopardy goat. Greatest of all time. Um, it was a primetime hit for uh for ABC. I do also think that it's important that when we sort of compare the numbers of people that are watching these things and to numbers of people who are watching um esports um watching uh games like Fortnite um there's not even uh, there's there's not even a global standard of comparison. And so those of us who grew up on Jeopardy, we appreciate um the game uh the the intellect that is required certainly the gamemanship. And so um uh, the guy who won, Ken Jennings, not only won by having the right question as an answer, um, he also won because he was willing to go all in. And so I just want to pause this morning and ask the question uh, of jeopardy, the, the jeopardy question in terms of the games we play with God. You may be playing hide and seek with God. Um, let me just go ahead and say Jesus is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. So that uh, that game of hide and seek that began in the Garden of Eden uh, not not really such a great game to play with a God who is omniscient, uh, knows all, sees all, uh, knows what you're up to. Um, not, like Santa, not like the fictional Santa Claus, uh, you know, who knows when you're awake and knows when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake. God actually does know when you're sleeping and when you're awake and what you're thinking during both of those um, states. So here's the question. What games are you playing with God today? Um, and what are you putting at Jeopardy? Okay, because the whole concept of Jeopardy is is that which is like to your harm it's about loss what are you willing to risk and so when we talk about final jeopardy we talk about going all in on something what is the great cosmic universal idea that you have gone all in on i've gone in i've gone all in with god i am all in with the gospel of jesus christ i'm laying it all on the line um it will all be counted as loss if, in fact, uh, it's not true. But but it is true. It is true. And so I'm really not risking anything. But you see the conversation that might happen today if you have a friend who is an atheist or a kid who is a skeptic um, or you know someone who is a seeker. Like, today's a really great day to talk about Jeopardy and what's at risk and what's at stake and whether or not you're really all in. Uh, the only way that you win at the game of Jeopardy, the one that was played on television last night, or aired on television last night, the, the only way that you win is to go all in, is to wager it all on, on one thing. And so when we talk about faith, we are talking about putting it all on the line, all that we have, all that we know, all that we do, all in. Uh, that is the first and greatest commandment, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And that, yes, you would love your neighbor as yourself. So those are the conversations we're going to have today. I believe it's a conversation each of us could have today in terms of the games that people do play with God. um, We could actually have a little fun with that over the course of time. Um, What's going to happen at Final Jeopardy? Is it all going to be counted all as loss or all as victory in Jesus Christ? Next up, I've got Drew Griffin from Providence Magazine. He and I are going to talk across some of the headlines in the Middle East. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm joined now by Drew Griffin. You can find him on Twitter at DG underscore NYC. You can also find him at Providence Magazine. Um, hey, Drew, welcome back.
2: Hey, good morning, Carmen. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. OK, so um, what if I just set the big topic of Iran out there and said, okay. Drew, Drew, let's talk about Iran. Where would you want to start that conversation today?
2: I would probably want to start the conversation uh, with the, the protests that are occurring in Iran right now. Um, so uh, over the last couple of weeks, and we talked about last week uh, when I was uh, overseas in, in Israel in the Middle East uh, with the killing of uh, Hassam, uh Soleimani by the United States, uh, Soleimani being the, the main general um, <clears throat> of the um, uh, Iranian uh, kind of uh, defense uh, force. Um, he uh it set off basically a, a chain reaction of events uh that included the iran striking back in uh, a base in and u uh, s base in iraq uh but it also um unfortunately um uh, caused the um uh shooting down of an innocent uh ukrainian um uh airliner by the um iranian air force uh so uh th- all of that uh, tumult, Uh, has um, kind of uh, resulted in massive protests uh, throughout Iran um, as uh, the Iranian people have uh, begun to see their uh, regime, uh, their Islamic regime, as uh, pretty incompetent. Um, There are a number of factors. I think the protests uh, are trying to address uh, the economic sanctions that have been placed on Iran by the United States um, since uh, Donald Trump became president um, has resulted in really just the, um, the flattening of the Iranian economy. There's um, a massive inflation. There's uh, a massive uh, um, uh, economic um, uh, depression there uh, in Iran, and uh, the people are frustrated about that. Uh, there have been um, a previous protests uh, to this whole uh, Soleimani incident in which the Iranian government has killed uh, thousands of uh, Iranian protesters. Uh, So the the current uh, group of protesters are uh, angry about that and angry about uh, the the harsh measures that have been used against the Iranian people. And then the downing of this uh, Ukrainian airliner, which just shows the government and the military to be incompetent. It's a, a tragic a loss of innocent life, and it's um, you know the people demand a level of of competence from their government, and so um, what the Iranian regime has attempted to do over the years since it took power in 1979 is it's always tried to pivot its uh, domestic problems um, and and funnel those those problems however they are call, caused. Um, through this kind of funnel of of hatred to the United States and towards the west and say well really the america is the cause of of all your problems you know death to america the great satan and all of that but in this new era of of social media and the internet and and um an Iranian public that's not completely ignorant of uh, the way in which uh, the world works and the way in which the United States operates, it's, it's more and more difficult for the regime to uh, channel uh, the discontentment of um, the domestic population of Iran into hatred for the United States. And so um, I think it's something really interesting to watch. I think it's something that um, you know we need to monitor. And, um, I think there are some I think hopeful signs that uh, the Iranian people um, may be uh, agitating for a change and may be doing so in numbers that the uh, Iranian regime may not be able to control. So I think it's definitely going to be a story worth uh watching in the next couple of weeks
0: and we talk about when we talk about religious news, when we talk about you know ideological um conversations when we when we talk about um the world view that presses somebody. Into a particular action or another, um, this is a really fascinating look at a theocracy, at a at a government that views itself as not only God ordained, but literally working out uh, the purposes of God in the context of human history, and and yet from a worldview and a view of God that is directly opposed to both the Jewish and the Christian worldviews, and so. I think that in terms of religious storyline, it's also really tremendously interesting. Ge- the geopolitics of it are fascinating as well. And in the midst of all of that, Drew, I know that you and I are both concerned about real people um, and the, the real oppression they are living under um, in Iran. OK, I want to make one comment about what you have posted at ProvidenceMag.com. When I scroll down at ProvidenceMag.com, um, you know, images being worth um, a thousand words, Let me tell you that when I get down to the focus section of Iran, I want to know that guy, that guy right there whose picture is on your website. And I know this is radio, so people aren't seeing what I'm seeing right now. But that picture of that U.S. Marine standing on the top of a building somewhere in the world, um, I feel more safe today because of that guy. Whoever that guy is, I like that guy.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, <laughs> okay, that's that's go. encouraging. I'm glad. That's, that's my why we shout out yeah, for yeah, that right.
0: guy, whoever that guy is. Right. Okay, you and I have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to pivot to China. We're going to talk about China on the imposition of harsh new rules governing religious groups in 2020. That conversation up next with Drew Mag- uh, Drew Magazine from Drew Griffin from Providence <laughs> Magazine. You can find it at ProvidenceMag.com. We'll be right back. All right, I'm talking with Drew Griffin from Providence Magazine. You can find everything we're talking about today at providencemag.com. Drew, let's pivot from Iran to another hot spot in the world, and that would be China. Um, tell us what's going on there in terms of the uh, imposition and implementation of some harsh new rules regarding uh, religious personnel. Yes,
2: yeah, so um, uh, the. Communist Party of China is uh, enacting some new regulations on uh, religious affairs beginning in uh, February. Um, these measures have been passed um, and uh, revised over the past couple of years. They include kind of six new chapters, 41 articles dealing with just every facet of religious practice uh, within uh, China. And uh, what we see here is an um, a- explicit attempt on the part of the Chinese Communist Party – to basically infiltrate all levels of uh, religious practice in China. But specifically, there's a lot of uh, targeting of the Christian community uh, to ensure that religious organizations adhere to the leadership of the Communist Party, that that, uh, what the communist – Laws and regulations, ordinances—that that is what the the churches are are teaching. That they're spreading the principles of the Communist Party and the policies of the Communist Party. And so, uh, really, it is a—I um, uh, think—a a blatant uh, demonstration of the fact that the Chinese Communist Party, uh, obviously, it's it's atheistic, it's it's communist. It recognizes no authority higher than itself. Um, and so, any kind of religious pyramid at which you know there's a god at the top, well, there's one more layer, layer on top of that for the Chinese Communist Party, and that's the Chinese Communist Party. They are at the top of the pyramid of every uh, religious group, and they are in, intent on uh, ensuring that no religion, especially Christianity, um, gets a foothold or is able to find a way around it and place God at um, at the top of the pyramid. And so, uh, what uh, Christians in China are fearing is a a greater crackdown, um, and as China begins to infiltrate, and the party begins to infiltrate further and further into uh, Christian communities, and I think it's really important for us uh, to um, to watch this and and to do so with a, a great level of concern for our Christian brothers and sisters. This is not unlike. Um, The uh, methodology that we saw uh, implemented against uh, the Uyghur Muslims in Shenzhen, Um, we see China always kind of follows a particular pattern where they label label groups as threats to the uh, Communist Party. They begin to uh, increase regulations on those groups, and as those groups resist – Um, China takes stronger and stronger measures to ensure the the conformity of those religious groups like Uyghurs. It is not, I think, out of the realm of possibility in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years, um, maybe even sooner – where you could see camps uh, like the Uyghur concentration camps in Shenzhen that are used to re-educate, quote-unquote, Chinese Christians uh, to ensure that they uh, deny uh, their faith and uh, put uh, their ultimate faith in the the Communist Party. It really displays a a moral reprobation uh, that that China has and um, uh, something that I think we have to keep in mind when we're dealing with them, either economically, you're buying Chinese products, or um, when our government is trying to you know, pass uh, new trade guidelines or trade agreements, um, that uh, ultimately we should have the freedom and the um, liberty of the Chinese people at our heart and in our focus, and uh, definitely Chinese Christians uh, in our prayers.
0: It makes me, uh, it reminds me of that Niemöller quote, um, you know, just just about if, if I don't stand up when Let's say in this case the Chinese come for the Uyghurs, um, and I don't stand up when they come for people of other religious uh, or ethnic um, groups. Who was gonna Who's gonna be around when they come for me? Like, right? I mean, I think that there is a conversation to be had here um, about. I mean, I recognize that we do not necessarily like uh, in this generation um, American interventionism around the globe. But there's also the reality that if, if we don't do something um, when the Chinese inter and and systematically seek to wipe out the culture of the Uyghur people, um, then why should we think anybody is going to stand up and, and bring aid when they do the same thing to the Christians uh, in China? So I do think that there is um, – wow, there's there's something afoot, and you and I both know that it is a global interest of China to – sort of be at the top of everybody's thought pyramid, um, even in this generation. All right, let's, oh, we have pivot. a, if, if oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, Sorry, if I can just add it, we have a yeah. piece at providencebag.com, uh, that we published, uh, uh, this last fall called, um, China, um, the grand strategy and the great network power, which basically helps, uh, kind of elucidate their, their strategy to, um, uh, see their ideology and see their economy kind of pr- proliferate out into, um, all the world. I mean, through the Belt and Road Initiative and through investments that they have and in, uh, other parts of the world and other countries, uh, agreements that they have. This is a a slow moving um, kind of crabgrass cancer that's moving underneath the surface um, that um, has this ideology at its heart, and it's not going to stay contained to China. And that's why I think we have to be um, especially vigilant.
0: Yeah, when we think in terms of four years or eight years, because we think of in terms of political cycles that change that fast, China thinks in terms of a thousand years right it's just it 's just a completely different perspective on um, on on life and and politics uh, that piece is entitled "China and the Great Network Power. you can find it at ProvidenceMag.com. dot um, drew let 's quickly pivot to um, to Africa uh, This is a conversation that a lot of people are not having um, tell us about africa 's young christian uh, those young Christian communities in africa and what 's happening to them.
2: Sure, we we have a series uh, that we're doing at um, uh, providencemag.com uh, about um, basically the real world in 2020. And there's a piece in there by Jake Barnett about Africa in 2020. And um, uh, you know, Africa is the second largest um, uh, continent by uh, you know population. It, it's got a massive amount of of people and interests and uh, economic power. And mobility, and yet it is one of the least focused on uh, areas, especially recently. With just so much focus on the Middle East and so much focus on Asia and China, and yet uh, there's a great deal uh, going on in Africa. I think um, uh, what to watch is just uh, the continued uh, persecution of Christians uh, in the Sudan, the um, the uh, uh, influence of Christian communities in uh, countries like Ethiopia. Um, where uh, the president is a a Christian and uses kind of Christianity as um, a a rallying point, Um, that uh, there are a lot of um, areas in China, I think, I mean, in, um, sorry, Africa, that I think merit our uh, focus. And um, that's why we kind of published the piece just in order to uh, draw attention to a myriad of issues that uh, for 2020 are going to be trends uh, that, um, that we need to focus on.
0: Okay, so let me remind our listeners. We just talked recently uh, here on the program with Dr. Tom Katina. He is serving the Nuba people. If you want to be reminded of that, you can go to nuba2020.com. Like that's a great opportunity if you want to know what's happening. Um, With Christians in uh, in that community and how they're serving one another. Um, And then I'm reminded that we did a story uh, here on air about not only Ethiopia, but the planting of trees like this is like, you know, an opportunity for Christian communities in a place that has been, uh, you know, where the land has really been decimated and there's there's just no trees. Um, For this like replanting effort by churches and that when you look across the landscape in Ethiopia and you see you see trees, you see life, there's a church there. And I just love that. I love some of those visual images um, uh, and some of the things happening there. So just thank you for lifting up those positive stories. Uh, We want to be praying for people around the world. And we want to be coming alongside those who are on the ground doing good in those areas. And Drew, you helped us connect to many of those places and many of those storylines through Providence Mag. So thank you for what you guys are doing um, and for continuing to to share with us what's happening so that we can really reconnect, you know, what's going on in our own life with with what's going on globally. We genuinely appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Carmen.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. All right. That's Drew Griffin from Providence Magazine. You can check out everything we talked about today at ProvidenceMag.com. You can also follow Drew on Twitter at DG underscore NYC. We'll be right back. Okay. So next up, I'm going to talk with Peter Kapsner. Um, He and I like to take, you know, headlines that are out there, conversations that are happening in the world and, and kind of walk through them. From a Christian worldview, and so I know that you like like me. I know that we are aware that um, there are a lot of young men in our culture. Actually, not not only young men, but I would describe them as increasingly middle-aged men who are in great despair. Life is not as they were led to believe it would be. Um, things are not working out as they as they imagined. Um, their life does not look like what they thought their life would look like at this point. They are um, increasingly not married and yet have financial responsibilities for um, children whom they, con- whom they conceived. Um, they increasingly do not make enough money to sort of make a life that looks like the life that their parents were able to cultivate um, and certainly not uh, not feeling upwardly mobile in the culture today. They turn in their despair to all kinds of um, substances and substitutes. Uh, They turn not only to alcohol and drugs, but to pornography and to relationships that are um, maybe, maybe uh, could be described as as long as a one-night stand, increasingly not even that long. Um, And so when we talk about how the culture is moving and we talk about the despair among men, uh, particularly young men. Um, Where are we and what do we need to do to change the trajectory of a generation of men? Uh, And so that's the conversation I'm going to have next with Peter Kapsner here on Mornings with Carmen. In order for parents to have a healthy relationship with their teen, it's necessary to create a safe harbor where healthy relationships can develop. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens.
1: Relationships thrive in an atmosphere of unqualified acceptance. Even when your child blows it big time, you don't threaten or abandon him. He knows without question that your love is forever. Every teen has a secret longing to belong. He wants a relationship that helps him discover who he is. Your child realizes this sense of significance through relationships that will never end, first with you and with God for all eternity. So are you creating space for healthy relationships? Make your home a safe harbor from the storms of life.
2: Learn how to get your team back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com.
0: Dr. Peter Kapsner, he's a professor at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, among other things. He's also a husband. He's a dad. Um, And I'm wondering, Peter, just off the top right there, we just heard um, in Parenting Today's Teens, right, that kids need – they -hmm. need to know that their parents love them. They need to know that they're being raised in a household where there is stability, and that first stability is the stability of love, Um, Wow. When I think about that, and I think about all the kids across the country um, and around the world today who are not growing up in the context of a home, they're not growing up in a home at all. They're growing up on the streets. They're growing up in a constellation of relationships that's marked by violence and anger and drugs and division. Um, I mean, I just... I, I I kind of find myself vacillating between these two worlds, this Christian world that has things like parenting today's teens, and then the rest of the real world
1: yeah it it sort of takes your breath away, doesn't it, Carmen I mean when you when you really sort of if I step outside sort of the daily rigors uh, of whatever's in front of a uh, Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, which typically involves trying to figure out a way to get into work and by what time and doing sort of the work in front of you and, and kind of just goes day by day. And, and we lose sight, I think, of this unbelievable epidemic that you just outlined in terms of how many kids are growing up in homes that are simply not stable in any way, shape or form. And, it, and it's not relegated to just sort of like inner city homes are the ones that are broken and rural homes are the ones of this idyllic life. I mean, it, it has become an epidemic around the country of kids growing up in broken families or growing up without a family at all. And almost every bit of psychological and sociological research would suggest that having structures and having boundaries and having a a safe and a stable place in which to live, uh, certainly through adolescence, is probably the most critical factor towards sort of a sense of well-being and, and not going off the rails. And with the deconstruction of the family, That began in earnest by uh, some of the universities in our country and some of the alleged researchers in our country in the 1970s. We really see now the rippling impact of what's happened where kids do not grow up in stable environments. And it's not easy to be a family these days. I mean, there is a lot of pressures, uh, certainly, I think, that any of our listeners can identify with. You just sort of feel like you're trying to keep your head above water to to keep any sense of stability with, with your family at all.
0: I think one of the things I want to do today, Peter, because um, you and I are going to talk about this article that we both read by David French um, at a website called French Press. It's at the dot com. Um, it's not good that man should be alone. Now, when I read the headline, what did I think the article was going to be about?
1: Yeah, well, I thought it'd be about marriage for sure. Yeah, you know, me too. It, I, 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 I totally about, thought it'd be about marriage. Yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> it's not about marriage. It's about I'd personal responsibility. It was, it
1: was a staggering article, actually. Yes, indeed.
0: So, um, and the reason I want to lift it up is that because, it, first of all, it's meaty. It's um, it's it, it, David French draws a lot of threads together in this conversation. What stood out to me, um, in addition to the despair conversation, which you and I are going to have, um, what stood out to me uh, was the 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 evidence of worldview in our political parties today. I have never thought before of the of the Democrat Party being the party of the single woman and the party of the child raised by a single woman. And if you think about um, why people believe what they believe politically in terms of how involved the government should be, if you believe that the single woman and the child of a single woman is the future of America, then you you say to yourself, I have to create a family system for her, a system that the family should provide, um, and I have to do it through government because she does not have a dad. He's an invisible man. Yeah. I, I really had never sort of thought about the the way people think across across a political divide in that way. But I th- I think that he's got something, his finger on the pulse of something here. The challenge is, if the Republican Party is the party of you know sort of the working class guy. That guy is increasingly taking his own life out of despair.
1: Yeah. It's funny you say that you never thought about it that way, Carmen. This was one of those situations where I had the exact same response, where it it felt like some of the fog cleared where he was able to identify these both political and sociological factors that – that really are giving rise to some things and i think starting with the democratic side of it and and i think you and i can probably pause here as soon as you say anything democrat or republican just using those words it has the possibility of inflaming you know tensions from listeners uh, to anybody who who would use that these days and and uh we're n- we're not talking about uh, chastising either one of the political parties we're we're trying to sort of like look through what have been the impact and the effects of some of the policies governmentally on both sides of the aisle. And you just referenced one of them that really did start. I remember when Hillary Clinton was, uh, I think she was at the time, the first lady when she was talking about that really popular and, and famous phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. And that phrase really did reference what you were just suggesting, which is that the Democrats really do emphasize the party of the single mother and, and the child. And what was interesting in the article is what he was pointing out is that you could say it's coming through altruistic and, and helpful motives. And yet the idea of bringing government around our kids, even if you're doing so from a place of really goodwill and wanting to really help and, and uplift, has been a miserable and abysmal failure on almost every possible level uh, that the government, it, it's sort of been proven, cannot replace the stable structure of a family. and uh, And that experiment... Coming from good hearted Democrats really hasn 't uh, been been helpful and on the flip side, what you referenced as well is that in the Republican Party uh, there's sort of even if families tend to be more emphasized and tend to be more together just sort of from a, a qualitative and quantitative research basis it doesn 't mean that it 's healthy the, the men are lonely they are despairing there isn't uh, there 's a sense of competition or they don't measure up. And, uh, and so there's an epidemic of everything from drug use, as you referenced, to uh, different articles. We're talking about the pornography that just so isolates men one from another, the competition that's there. And so neither side of it has really been helpful from a governmental approach to really uphold families in the way that they might, want to be, uh, might have wanted to.
0: All right. Uh, Peter Capster and I are going to take a brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, the need to personalize and spiritualize the issue um, as opposed to politicizing it. And so we're going to talk about, yes, absolutely, um, housing, education, healthcare, opportunity, prison reform, all of those things matter. Um, but if, 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 if there were intact functional families as God designed, Um, all of those would be resolved because we would be taking care of one another. We now live in the circumstance where that is not happening. And so what do we as Christians do? How do we personalize and spiritualize that which has been been politicized when it comes to young men in our culture, young men who never had a father, um, have never had a single positive male role model in their entire life? How do we expect those men to then turn and functionally lead the families of the future uh, in this country as well. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation now with Dr. Peter Kapsner professor at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is, you know, by the way, the parent of all that we do here at Faith Radio. So a little shout out today um, to, yeah. What is our mascot? They're purple. You know, we are
1: the eagle. We are the eagle.
0: Oh, that's good. The eagle. Like one uh, solitary, we are one solitary eagle. (laughs) <laughs> we have, I don't know. We
1: might have a few. Yeah, there Car- seems to be a few eagles in the stands. <laughs> Carmen, if we're going to
0: fly, we're going to fly like eagles here. Okay? <gasps> yes, yes. yes, absolutely. Our theme song was chosen because of our mascot. No, not, not quite. quite. Okay, no, but so, um, Peter, you and I um, uh, have read this uh, this piece. It's at frenchpress.thedispatch.com. dot dot com. It's not good that man should be alone. It is about. Um, Really, the despair among a generation of men in this country, uh, and then it pivots to this conversation about personal responsibility, not their personal responsibility, so much as the responsibility that we as Christians bear um, in the culture today, particularly those of us who who do function in intact families, who did have a good experience growing up um, who do know how to their, you know therefore we know what to teach, even if we don 't necessarily know how to teach it. Talk a little bit about. Um, about where French goes in terms of the shift of the paradigm that's needed uh, in our language and our actions related to personal responsibility.
1: Yeah. Well, that's just it. We referenced it a little bit before the break in terms of so much was put at the feet of government and and often for some really good-hearted reasons. And yet the, the shift needs to move towards the idea that um, at the end of the day, it is personal responsibility, which is not really a very popular phrase these days to to say, I've got to take personal responsibility for my life and for my family. I mean, you referenced it too, Carmen, the idea that uh, if we would just focus on the reconstruction of the family, so many of the social ills that are present and so prevalent and seem to be on the increase today, would we would see some remedy to that? And I, and I'm not idealizing. Fam- I know families can be exceptionally difficult, but if you have a, a combination of people attending a church and the church is focused on equipping families and equipping people for life, and the church isn't always so interested in trying to grow and stream and 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 do all of those sorts of things, if the church is really there to equip families so that families can do what families are meant to do, which is provide these stable structures for their kids growing up and, and to be places of wholeness, uh, places of welcoming and hospitality. And then most importantly, places that can go out and start looking outward into the world and helping others. We do so much better when things are stable in our lives around it. But to have that kind of family, Carmen, requires personal responsibility at the core. You have to be willing to take responsibility for other people. You have to sort of get out of the notion that the family exists for my own personal well-being and I'm going to get married so that I feel better about myself and my life or I'm going to have kids uh, so that somehow I'm more fulfilled. It, It really has to go the other direction. And if we start taking that kind of personal responsibility and stop asking the government to do everything for us, understanding that, again, rightly ordered, the government can help. It just it can't it can't replace and I think that's the big thing that we need to move away from is um, is the replacement of government towards government assisting and the church equipping, but the family being at the center of it. I think we could really see some some good social change.
0: Now, I think that uh, in the midst of this, Peter, you and I um, are going to recognize and acknowledge that there are a lot of single moms listening right now who are saying to themselves, I need the church to step up in that way for me and my kids. Sure. I need for- the church to be the church and to be the family of faith that God has called it to be. I need, um, you know, I need the church to be the substitute dad for my kid. I I cannot teach, as a single mom, I cannot teach Ah. my kid the things that my kid needs to know um, that only a dad can teach them. And so where in the, you know, where in the, in the way that the church thinks about family, do we recognize that the church is the family, God's family, and that um, we need to be not just welcoming, but actually actively going and seeking out relationships with um, with boys, uh, young, young people in our culture who are male, who have no positive male role model in their life. They don't have a dad in their home. That guy is the invisible man. Um, and how do we expect that kid to be a man, build a relationship, build a career, build a home, build another child, build a community, build a nation, build a legacy, if he has no models for doing so. And I think yes. that's where David French is going. I think David French is saying, I have a personal responsibility as a person of privilege in this culture, as a person who knows what it was like to be raised in a, in a Christian home and has raised others in a Christian home. I have a responsibility to turn to the least of these in the culture and actually begin mentoring, shaping the life, investing myself positively in the life of young men and boys in this culture.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that's that's 100% it. And, and I think that is so counterintuitive. And I think for many of us, subtly so, where when we live in this country where it's sort of, you know, take yourself up by the bootstraps and make your way forward or be whatever you want to be, where there's such a focus on individual fulfillment and personal happiness, this is more counterintuitive to do what you just described than maybe we appreciate day in and day out, that my life would be for the sake of others. Is certainly not the heart of what our, our society has been built on, at least to how it expresses itself now. And what I, I was just in a rental car agency uh, overseas in Scotland last week, and there's a young woman, and she was describing what it meant uh, to be raising her – only child and she's married and she was talking about i cannot imagine being a single mother she's talking about being up all night and having to be the one responsibility the, the one responsible for the diapers and the food and the, and the income and everything like that and we began to just talk about the plight of the single mother and how unbelievably difficult it is i have nothing but sympathy and compassion uh, for people because i i just don't think we appreciate sometimes outside looking in what it would be like to be a single mother every hour of the day And so to your point on that part of it, I know a a man that after his children were finished being raised, he was probably in his mid-50s, and he did take it upon himself to be a part of some of the younger kids in the church that didn't have a dad in the church, and he became that dad that you described. And uh, when we don't have the same kind of initiation processes that historically cultures have had, where it was assumed that you would have some sort of initiation process experience that would help you understand what it means to move from boyhood or to move from girlhood into manhood, into womanhood, and to have the models and have the mentors and to be an apprentice in life for people around you. It, how, what do we expect for kids to be able to sort out life when they're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old? I mean, that that's an impossible expectation in the uh, complexity of the world. So I, I read a book a number of years ago called Wild Man's Journey written by Richard Rohr, and it really did bemoan. He, he did a great job talking about the lack of initiation and then the lack of role models in our society is really going to have a tremendous impact. And that was 15 to 20 years ago, and I think he, he turned out to be pretty prophetic with what he suggested might happen, given the lack of male role models for our young boys.
0: All right, so I want to highlight uh, two stories before Peter and I have to uh, have to part ways here today. We just talked yesterday here on the show with Michael Miller of the Michael Project, Street Kids in Honduras. Um, You know, he he is a guy who is now the dad to an entire generation of of young men in the nation of Honduras. He's transforming not only their lives, but the city in which they live and ultimately the nation. Um, uh, And so when you think about the kids in your own community, what we're talking about here, we're not necessarily talking about moving to Honduras and doing this for kids there. We're talking about you doing it in your own community. Um we are talking about you seeing um, the the distress, the despair in your own community and turning your heart in that direction. Um, be a coach, be a Sunday school teacher, um, be you know be a part of your minist- your church's outreach to young people in your community, um, get engaged in foster care, become a mentor, be a substitute dad. I mean, there's just all kinds of ways that you can uh, you can imagine this. There's a guy named Guy Bryant. He's 61 years old. He'd be 62 now, I think. Um, And over the past 12 years, he has fostered more than 40 young men in his home. Uh, And he's in New York City. And so um, he's doing it in a hard place with kids whose lives have been very, very difficult. What might that look like for you um, in your context, in your city, uh, to be an extension of the good news of the gospel to another person? And and the hope that that would bring culture-wide and nationwide for us um, here today. We've got a culture of young men in despair. What can we as people of faith and people of hope uh, do about that? All right, uh, Peter, you and I have to leave it right there. Thank you, my friend.
1: Yeah, I love the conversation. Thanks, Carmen.
0: Okay, so um, you and I are going to wrap up today um, with the conversation where we started it. What is what is at jeopardy? What is at risk? Um, and are you all in with Jesus? Are you all in with the gospel? You can be the greatest of all time in terms of jeopardy. Uh, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ today, we'll be right back. All right, we've got an, a minute here at the bottom of this hour, um, and so let me just set this question before you. You know, when you think about 2020, when you survey the year that is now ahead, um, what are your hopes and what are your fears? Uh, and give give that a little bit of a thought. Give that some thought today. If you would let me know the answer to those questions, what are your hopes? What are your fears? Um, I mean, you know, not, I don't need a long laundry list, but, you know, sort of what's top of mind uh, in terms of your hopes and fears, then we could address some of those subjects here on air. That might be a fun way for us to uh, be sure that we're talking about the things that are actually of interest and concern to you. So you can always text me, 877 933 2484 hopes and fears, uh, or you can email me your hopes and fears, Carmen at myfaithradio.com. We got another hour of mornings with Carmen up next.